0: What makes someone a great Christian? What makes someone a great Christian? If I were to ask that... Well, actually, I did ask the question. If I were to let you answer, if I were to let everybody answer, which I'm not going to do, because it would be a very long service, but I think we'd get a lot of the same answers. I think we'd get, you know four or five real good answers that we can go, yes, 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 yes. And I don't know that there's one answer to that question. I'm certain there's not. But let me suggest an answer that we can all agree upon. A great Christian is one who loves God wholeheartedly. A great Christian is one who loves God wholeheartedly. So how is that type of wholehearted love measured? That's that's the next question that's important. How is wholehearted love for God measured? Let's look at the Old Testament and the New Testament for the same truth. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. I'll be reading tonight out of the New American Standard uh, Bible. And, and tonight I'm going to read some of the same verses in the Message translation because it really... Um, really says some of the same things, but in a wonderful way. So Deuteronomy 6, 4-6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Now let's read that from the New Testament in Mark, chapter 12, verse 28 through 30. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he, recognizing that Jesus had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? This question was asked to Jesus. And Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So as you can see, this is not Mark Harper who suggests a good answer to that question of what a great Christian should be, that wholehearted love for God. But rather it's Jesus Christ who doesn't just suggest it but gives this as a command. So loving God is the first and the greatest command. So how do you command love? How do you command an emotion? Love me! Love me! Love me! I don't know. I'm trying to express it as a command. It doesn't work. It doesn't work because love is not... An emotion. Not this kind of love that we're talking about. It's not an emotion. If we have dinner together, somebody might serve such a delicious meal that I get swept up in emotion and I declare, oh my gosh! I love this meal! I might see a movie, and I love movies, I might see a movie that once again that stirs such emotion in me that touches my heart that when someone asks me about that movie I might reply oh my gosh I love that film you've got to see it but Jesus never commanded an emotion from us he commanded devotion from us a devotion to pursue God and to seek his will doing God's will is the only proof we have of true love of God. Doing God's will is the only proof we have that our love is genuine and true, that our love for God is true. Not some sudden declaration Based out of emotion. Not, oh my gosh, I love sushi, but oh my god, oh my god, my god, I love you. It is, is it wrong that my wife will not entertain the thought, the consideration of Of me sharing some of my devotion with a rival. Is that wrong? Who is a rival? Who is a rival to my wife? Any woman that tries to take any measure of my devotion is a rival. Now, she has no rivals, but that person would become an enemy, and I would pity that person. (laughs) Is it wrong that my wife will not entertain a rival? Is that wrong? Is that wrong that my wife will not entertain the sharing of any of my vulnerabilities or affections? Of my touches with, with a rival, with another woman. Is that wrong? That is such an easy answer. This, this one, guys, I mean, they're not trick questions. When they're that obvious, you can just call it out. You can shout it out and be confident. No, that's not wrong. Is that weakness on her part? Is that weakness on Kara's part to not entertain a rival? Is that a flaw? Heck no. I, I considered just then not saying heck no. But we're not preaching of heaven and hell, so it wouldn't have been appropriate. It would be a flaw and a weakness if she didn't expect that. If she didn't expect my devotion, right? It would be a flaw of hers and a weakness of hers if she didn't expect that sort of devotion from me, that I would not entertain that. Well, there's a word in the Hebrew that conveys God's desire for devotion from us. This word used six times in five verses. It conveys God's desire for devotion from us that is towards Him and only Him. This word is kana. This word is only used to describe God. It is only, and it's even used as a describer and, and a name of God. Anybody want to take a stab at at what this word is? And which, by the way, this word is horribly translated because it's a word that we use to describe so many things, so many people. Anybody want to take a stab at what that word kana means? What, how we've translated it? In a minute we're going to read it, and I want us to keep in mind that in our translation of this word, we have attributed this word to be a weakness and a flaw of God Almighty because of how we see this word. Deuteronomy 6, 13 through 15 You shall fear only the Lord your God. You shall have reverence and honor and respect and fear for the Lord your God only. And you shall worship Him and swear by His name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods or the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. I've heard too many people reference this as a weakness of our God. What What kind of God do you serve as a Christian? He's a jealous God. That's an insecurity. That's a flaw. That's a weakness. How mighty is your God if He's jealous? Just as it's not a flaw or a weakness for my wife to not entertain me to share my devotion with any other woman, it is the same principle. Our God is not weak or flawed for requiring that we not share our devotion or our affection or our love with any other God. With any other thing. Our God is a jealous God. Our God will not entertain a rival. That is how that is translated. And that word is only used for God. It's not used anywhere else in Scripture to describe a jealous man, a jealous woman, a jealous relationship. It is a word describing God. And friends, if we have ever for one second entertained that our God has a flaw or a weakness in this midst of jealousy because we've put it in our terms to our own flaws and weaknesses, let's let's change our minds in that thinking because our God is not weak nor flawed in His jealousy. He has every right to it, just as every one of us in this room has every right to the same devotion with our spouses. Isn't that good? I can stop there. I'm not going to. But that's good. That's good. I I, I mean, as we share the gospel with other people, how many of you guys have heard that that pose to you? How, How great is your God if he's jealous? Jealousy is a weakness. Jealousy is a flaw. No, friends, that's not our God. It would be a flaw and a weakness if he didn't desire and expect devotion from us. Our God desiring, commanding, devotion from us is right and natural. Our God is good and only good. Our God is good. When we trust our Father with our lives, we can be certain that His way is better than our way. When I gave my life to the Lord, I gave Him my past. I gave Him my sin. I gave Him my past. And immediately what came to mind was the, the the areas that were flaws of mine. But I also gave Him my strengths. I gave Him my successes. I gave Him my victories. I gave Him my all. And I didn't just give Him my past. I gave Him my right now. My right now that I want to be intentional about living out right now with Him as my lord and savior my lord and savior not just my savior i know i'm a sinner when we when we when we sin i mean I, I knew i needed jesus as a savior but he's my lord he gets the wheel he gets to push the shopping cart he gets his way he's lord of my life he's the boss he gets to call the shots and we have to trust him not just with the handling of our past but with the handling of our future do we truly trust that no matter what comes our way, we will trust our God with tomorrow and tomorrow's tomorrow's. Okay, so there's trust. Will we love Him? Will we love Him? And how is that represented? How is that demonstrated? It is demonstrated through our devotion to be obedient to what He tells us to do. And we can trust what He tells us to do. The message conveys that same passage that I read from Deuteronomy chapter 6 as this. Attention Israel, God, our God, God, the one and only, love God, your God with your whole heart. Love Him with all that's in you. Love Him with all you've got. The word for love that is used here is not a noun, it is a verb. It is not a noun. Action is required. Love your God. It is not something we fall into, friends. It is something we walk out and that we are intentional in. Devotion is not something we stumble into. I don't accidentally find myself devoted to my wife or my kids or my friends or this church. It is intentional. Action is required. You cannot command a genuine emotion in anybody. So what Jesus commanded us was action. Not emotion. Devotion. Not an emotion. When we come into the presence of God and we get touched by Him, since we are emotional beings, when we get touched by God, our emotions are present and we express them. And rightly so. But emotion is not proof of God's love for us. His devotion is is his proof of his love for us john 3:16 and 17 says for god so loved the world for god so loved you for god so loved me that he gave there's action there's intentionality there's devotion he was so devoted to us that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. How devoted is God to us? So much so that He gave His Son so that we might be saved. So that we might be healed. So that we might walk in freedom. He gave His Son to us. That's how devoted He is to us. That's His proof. even though the love that we talk about isn't emotion emotions are a part of it because we we have emotion emotions are a part of it and what i don't think god wants is for us to withhold the emotions because we judge that as weakness i'm going to express myself to my god I'm going to be vulnerable and real with my God. I'm going to, I'm going to express how much I love. Him. I'm going to let my emotion be clear, and I'm going to wear my heart on my sleeve because I want everyone to know. And emotions are a part of me. I'm an emotional guy. Watched the Super Bowl last week, and when that interception was thrown with seconds to go, I let my emotion be real and vulnerable with Josh and Megan. And the next play, you know the words that came out of my mouth. I wish somebody would kick Tom Brady in the head. I said that! I literally said that! Now that was a display of emotions. It was not godly, but it was real. It was genuine. It was ungodly and wrong. I repented of it. But it was there. In this place, how much more so should should we be free to be emotional? If that means being happy, being joyful, crying, laughing, dancing, jumping... Doing whatever. Women get this pretty clearly, but us men, we're a little slow on the uptake. Yeah. (laughs) Who thinks you think? You think? Yeah. What man would like to hear his wife say, sweetheart, I love you. But I feel nothing for you. Now give Robot Mama some sugar. <laughs> there's not a man that would want that, but yet there's many times men that we treat. That's the way we approach God. I don't want to show him anything. I don't want to. I don't want to let any. That's the woman's job. That's bull, man. That's bull. You look at any time in history, one of the most manly things to do is sing a triumphant song after war, after battle, before war, in celebration, in toast. Sing songs and show emotion. And we get to do it for the king of kings, not for some, any other reason. Emotions are influenced by so many factors. Friends, and especially young people, teenagers, listen to me. Your emotions do not rule you. You rule them. We see in Genesis chapter 1 that we were created for dominion. We were created for relationship and rulership. We see that in the very beginning, and we see it all throughout the Word, and we see it in the book of Revelation. We see it all throughout. We were created for rulership and relationship. We have dominion over our emotions. Our emotions do not have dominion over us. David commanded his soul, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, you will bless His holy name. He took dominion over his emotions and said, I will not focus on circumstances, but I will bless my God. Young people do the same. Old people do the same. Everyone in between young and old, I don't know. I don't know. We're to have dominion over our emotions. Yeah. We don't wait for an emotional outburst to, to, for that to be our scale of us loving God or God loving us. People have come to me and said, I, I just don't feel anything. I'm like, then be faithful. Then be faithful. Because walking faithfully in the Lord, being devoted to Him, is how you show your love for the Lord. So trust Him for the emotional. H- how emotional of a guy are you? Not, not really. Okay, so what are you expecting? Are you expecting the Holy Spirit to possess you and to push out tears from your face? The Holy Spirit's not going to do that. That's weird, guys. But be devoted, be faithful, keep walking with Him, keep showing Him that you love Him. We should love God. Friends, hear me. We should love God with the same devoted actions regardless of what's going on in our life. We should love God with the same devoted actions regardless of the lows and regardless of the highs and regardless of the ups and regardless of the downs. We should love God with the same actions regardless. Why? Because that is called being faithful. That, my friends, is devotion. That is love. We love each other through the ups and the downs. We are devoted to one another through the ups and the downs. And with our love for God, we love Him. And our actions are the same regardless of the ups and downs. How mean is it to go, because Brad was rude to me, I will not show my wife love. (laughs) But yet we do that with the church. We do that with the church. Because Mark was rude and... Fill in the blank, baby. It's going to happen. Fill in the blank. Rude and insensitive and unthoughtful and unresponsive and not there for me. I ain't perfect. I'm going to be all of those things at some point if you stick around long enough. So because he was that, I'm not coming to church. How ridiculous is that? Jordan, you will not get any love, hugs, anything, because Acacia was... whatever. That's ridiculous, friends. But that's what we do. That's what we do. Our goal isn't to come to church and to sit here and to feel emotions for God. That is not our goal. That is not why we come here. But when I come here to church one of my goals is to receive all that that my awesome God has for me in the midst of his presence. And to do as the word said, and to love my God in his presence. It says that. We read it in Deuteronomy 6 and we read it again in Mark. To love my God when I'm in his presence. So when we come together, I want to express my all. I want to sing my own song to the Lord. I want want to repent if the Holy Spirit brings something to my heart I need to repent of. I want to confess to Him sin if I'm in the middle of it, and I can do it all joyfully. I I, I personally want emotion to be part of it, because I'm an emotional guy. But you be true to who you are, but more than that, be true to God. And don't withhold anything from Him. Don't withhold affection from Him. Don't withhold vulnerability from him. If you give that vulnerability to someone else and not God, friends, that's called unfaithfulness. That's not devotion. That's not love. Our love for God should be the controlling factor of our lives. Our love for God should be the controlling factor of everything we do. I'm not going to do that because that wouldn't reflect my devotion to the Lord. In fact, that would send confusing messages to people about how devoted I am to God. So I'm not going to do that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. That would send mixed messages. And I love God. Boom. Decision made. That's life, friends. That's every day, multiple times a day. The love that we are commanded to It does something. It does something. The love we're commanded to do has action behind it. And what we do is the proof of true love. Talk is cheap, right? Talk is cheap. What we do, our obedience to God, our faithfulness and devotion to Him is the proof of our love, friends. I hate to... to, bursting. I don't. Why do I say that? I don't hate you. I'm glad I'm saying that. I'm glad I'm bursting bubbles. Man, if if someone doesn't believe that, I hope this rubs you the wrong way. I'm hopeful of that. Lord, please let it agitate somebody. If someone walked into this place thinking that we could just pay our God lip service, that that was, that that would be a translation of love. Lord, please let it rub someone the wrong way, right? Shouldn't that be our prayer? Our devotion is proof. James wrote in James 2, 18-20. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is dead, is useless, is worthless? Faith without works is not real faith. And love without Without action is not real love. And devotion without action is neither true nor real in the least. I want you guys in your study time this week to read Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I want you to see something really cool. The way it starts and the way it ends. You can go back to De- Deuteronomy 5 and you can read a lot of, of commands. There's a lot of rules uh, about adultery and about stealing and about not coveting someone's wife. There's those There's those commands in chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, he comes out with, this is the commandment, the rules and the regulations that God, your God, commanded me to teach you and live out. Notice he doesn't say, These commandments, he says, this is the commandment. He starts building towards something. This is the commandment that God told me to lay it on for you. To teach you to live out in the land you're about to cross into to possess. This is so that you'll live in deep reverence before God lifelong, observing all his rules and regulations that I'm commanding you and your children and your grandchildren living good long lives. Listen. Obediently. Friends, the only way to listen obediently is with action. There is no listening obediently without action. It's only hearing and not doing. Do what you're told so that you'll have a good life, a life of abundance and bounty, just as God promised in a land abounding in milk and honey. Attention, Israel! So this is the third time. He starts off with, okay, this is the command, and then listen obediently, and then attention! Attention! God, our God, God, the one and only. Love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love Him with all that's in you. Love Him with all you've got. If you read further in chapter 6, it says, talk about the commands of God with your children. Teach them. Talk about it day and night. You know, put it, nail it to the post. Friends, He's not saying that I should be like, come here Jordan, come here Jay. He's not saying that I should be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, don't steal. Oh, let's talk about that. Don't steal. Uh, that's, that's not your, don't steal. And you're not married, uh, but one day you'll be married. And then don't covet uh, someone else's wife. It's not relevant now. It's not relevant now. But, but just, let's talk about it. Heck no. That is not what that passage says. You know what God wants us to talk about to my son? Son, love your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. And that love is reflected by devotion. It's by your actions. The world, they don't want to hear your talk. They want to see your works. They want to see that what you feel for God is real and true and genuine. And the only way they can see that is if you're devoted to it and your actions reflect it. That is what we talk to our sons about. That is what we talk to our daughters about. That's what we nail on the posts of for anyone to hear and see that we love our God. And then he closes out in verse 25. It will be a set right and put together life for us if we make sure that we do this entire commandment in the presence of God, our God, just as he commanded us to do. If you'll read this passage, it starts with chapter 6, commandment, and it ends with commandment. And in between, it, it talks about commandment and commandments. Commandments. But, guys, there's one commandment above all that is the greatest, and that is to love our God. That is the greatest. And when it says the singular, this commandment, that's what he's talking about. Love the Lord your God. You trust God? You love God? Of course you do. I know you do. Our devotion is proof of our love for God. Our devotion. Let's let the world and each other see our devotion to God. Let's let God see our love for Him through our devotion acted out. Our actions, proof, proof that our love is real.